0: Everybody. What's going on? Welcome back to Cosmic Soup. Today's guest brings an indescribable energy, an over-the-top personality, and a unique sense of, dare I say, style to every room he walks into, captivating audiences and delivering some truly high-concept thinking into the industry. I'm, of course, talking about Derek Dujardin, creative director and brand strategist here at Third Third Marketing. Even his name is awesome. Derek has been the architect of many of the award-winning campaigns for Third Third and their clients, and today, he's going to talk about his philosophies on how creative approaches to branding and advertising can have huge impacts on ROI, as well as some of his outside-of-the-box ideas on pivoting to minimize collateral damage and maximize results during these challenging times. So please welcome to the show, Third Third's own style guru, Derek Dujardin. Derek, welcome to the show. Hey, man. How you doing? I'm doing awesome. How about yourself? I'm doing great. I'm glad we finally got a chance to uh, sit down and have a conversation about creativity and senior living. It's nice. We've been talking about doing this for a while. So finally, we made it happen and our lives can now go on, right? Right.
1: I, I, the, the, well, in, uh, there's a missing part of me has been recovered and <laughs> I'm excited to be share time with you.
0: <laughs> yeah. As uh, as I've mentioned to you before, I always like to bring this up. Um, it's my little thing, but you are easily the most stylish person in the company and probably one of the most over-the-top personality, awesome people I know. So I'm really looking forward to kind of getting that personality to show through. On this show today, and kind of get a little tidbit, just a little taste of what Derek is all about.
1: Oh snap! Okay, that will be that will be fun. Um, yeah, I can be a little much, and and I I think that uh, you know I, I was a little worried when I first started going into the senior living industry that I wasn't um, mainstream enough. Uh, But I think that's exactly what this uh, industry needs. And uh, I do like to have fun. And so uh, thanks for acknowledging that. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, now that I've made this all super awkward by blubbering all over you, let's get some background on you. What do you say? (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) How about you tell us how you came to be at Third Third Marketing? What did you do before you came on board? And really, what got you interested in working in the senior living industry?
1: Okay, yeah. um, So I started my career in the early 90s. Uh, I started in Seattle working for uh, Macy's Department Stores and it was called the Bon Marche at the time. Um, But anyways, that was where I got started. I put in a few years doing that and then I moved around to different ad agencies as a young copywriter should during that time and um, worked on a lot of different accounts um, I wrote the very first Nestle.com website um, way back in the, you know, uh, late 90s, which was really cool. Flew to the base, yeah, I've worked with Starbucks and T-Mobile and basically Microsoft. Anybody that was kind of in Seattle at that time, I had done work with them. And so I had a lot of, you know high-tech b2b uh experience and they also had a lot of consumer experience so i, I sort of took all of that um and then i ran into cynthia and we were doing a lot of uh direct mail uh, and she was working with uh voice stream at the time and that became uh t-mobile later and so we started working together um, and with the two other partners and, and uh, we actually had an agency that we worked together for a while called 3 a.m. Um, we used to joke that, you know, that's when the bars closed. Uh, it was called 3 a.m. advertising. <laughs> And um, so we did that. And then in the late 2000s, um, yeah, in the mid 2000s, I just I just had enough of all of it, And I and I sold my house in Seattle and I moved to Sedona and I was going to start a photography business and leave the advertising behind. But my clients wouldn't let me and they kept calling me for work. So I started really just working remotely from down here, and um, and uh, you know did a lot of meditating on vortexes, and uh, went into theater and did improv, and worked in Toastmasters, and just did a lot of uh, really really great things for my own soul. Um, wrote a play called The Mending Monologues that's still being used in college campuses today. That's all about you know gender violence, but um, having men talk about gender violence and how it's expected them through, you know, the violence to the women in their lives. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's, it actually, it's more fun than it sounds as far as the plays go. It's got some, some levity <laughs> in it, as well as a lot of serious issues, which is a, a tricky thing to do. Um, so anyways, uh, I did all that and, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you ending up a creative director in senior living was not on my radar. Um, I have a great portfolio. My portfolio I think is, is as as good as a lot of ad agencies out there. And, um, so I was pretty happy just to sort of do this for the rest of my life, to sort of take on different projects and work freelance. And then Cynthia came into my life again and she said, um, you know, um, I'm, I'm doing these single living branding projects and I'm doing these, these direct mail lead generation and I'd like you to... Do some work for us. And I said, sure. And I was kind of expecting it to be really boring because I looked at the work that was out there and it's really bad. And, and I expected, okay, I could do this in my sleep. And her thing was, no, we want you. We want your creativity. We, we want you to really... Um, approach this as, as, as you would any other, you know, project with a lot of creativity and out of the box thinking. And I said, okay. And so um, we worked on our first project that was affinity and we did some other work. And then after about two years of, of working remotely, she said, Hey, I want you to be my creative director. And, um, and what drew me to the industry is there's this, there's not very much good work out there. And, um, it's really easy to win awards. <laughs> I know that sounds a little, but relative to everything else out there, I think that there's so much that we can do uh, for our customers and our clients that that other agencies aren't doing, and it's like they're stuck in the 1970s. Um, and and it's not that they're, they're they. they're it's not like, like they're stuck there. It's that like they don't know any better because nobody's ever showed them an alternative. They just think this is how you do it. And that's where Cynthia and I have a meeting of the minds where we both value the the creative expression and how creativity and advertising can result in really, really stellar ROI and getting to stand out and, and make a really um, strong brand. So, um, And then, uh, of course, there's such a great, great group of people at Third Third that it just uh, was a natural fit.
0: So, yeah. Yeah, that's how I got into it. Tell us exactly now, what is the role of a creative director? What are you responsible for? What do you bring to the soup? Sure. Um,
1: So... Basically, we since are a boutique agency. Um, if we had a larger stable of creatives, I would be overseeing all of them. Right now, we have a designer and um, and you know um, a lot of other people that are, that are solo. Siloed. Um, so I basically oversee all the work that comes through and then I make it better at the same time, because we're a small agency, I actually invest myself in doing a lot of the creativity and concepting. So um, I've I also played dual role as, as, as idea generator, uh, concepting, copywriting um, all of that. And then we're bringing, you know, the visuals to the table. Um, I'm not a designer, but I have really good instincts of what looks good and what I think would be um what it would really get people's attention so I bring a lot of these crazy ideas um sometimes it's scratched out or just um, dis- different pieces of uh of uh, stock photography that I've found and um you know, with a headline. And then I approach our designer, Catherine and say, Hey, Catherine, can you make this look good? And she always makes me look good. So that's kind (laughs) of the role. And then of course, overseeing it overall, making sure there's not any ages content that shows up and stuff. Um, and just all, all the different aspects of it that, that at the end of the day, that the brand itself, um, is, is unique and stands out. And there, there isn't anything that makes you go, Oh, that doesn't work. So making sure everything works smoothly and it looks good.
0: Yeah. I've seen quite a few examples of your work now at this point. Um, I wanted to ask you about a couple of things though. So you, you mentioned that you come up with concepts. So I've seen some of your videos. I seem to recall one where you were sitting down, looks like an old West saloon. You were kind of cowboyed up. Um, that was a really cool project. And then you're also responsible, I believe for bringing on the concept of the dude. Is that, or the druid? Is that you? Was that your concept?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, again, so much of the work that I, you know, I should actually give Cynthia a lot of credit Uh, a lot of the creativity, like I'll come to the table with a bunch of work and then she'll say, hey, what about this? So in some ways, um, she definitely has her foot in the creative realm as well as the account realm. Um, And that makes her like a triple threat. She's able to do all these things really well. Um, So, uh, you know, I learned a lot from her. But anyway, so uh, we'd actually talked about doing this project called the Big Kahuna for Leading Age. And it was going to be, oh, you know, with surf theme because we're down in San Diego and at the very end of this huge presentation that i had done i said yeah we can have a guy dressed like the dude walking around uh the the um showroom you know with a you know white russian and uh and she goes the dude that's what it needs to be about the dude so then we changed you know totally changed everything and made it about the dude and um, i think it was a really smart uh, shift because, you know, those are baby boomers. And those of you who don't know, The Big Lebowski, uh, that's the movie where the dude comes from. Um, we use that as as kind of a focal point that, you know, how would the dude experience retirement living? And the dude is somebody has uh, no BS. He's going to tilt like it is. And so it gave us a, an opportunity to really talk about What's wrong in the way that the marketing is nowadays and what's wrong in, in a lot of, um, of uh, communities, but then how it can be made right. Um, so it's, uh, it's kind of a point for us to say the emperor has no clothes in these certain areas and being kind of that iconoclast of just going and uh, you know, blowing everything up and making it better.
0: I remember meeting Drew uh, for the first time and and just being floored by the way that he really embraces that character. And I was really thinking how creative that was to take a concept like that and bring it into a completely unrelated industry. And I remember thinking, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't understand what's going on here. And then when you see it and you really hear the concepts about taking something that's generational like the big Lebowski and opening it up to everybody and exposing them to that concept. It just blew my mind. I just, that was just so, so awesome and so fun. So uh, props to you and the team for that. That was a blast.
1: Yeah, that was really fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. The dude was, uh, he, he is the dude in, in, in <laughs> my book, the way that he lives his life. And uh, we, we both got a lot out of that. So
0: Yeah, definitely awesome. And if I'm not mistaken, didn't you spend some time doing either stand-up or improv? I don't remember which one.
1: Not stand-up comedy, uh, improvised comedy, improv uh, acting. And, uh, you know, usually it becomes funny, you know, improv comedy is not like whose line is anyway, but also um, I'm a practitioner of long form, which is Chicago style improv. Um, I started doing this about... Uh, 2005. I started took my first improv class, fell in love with it. People thought I was good enough to be on stage, and so they let me on stage with them. And then after doing that for about five years, our improv group that we that that had started, uh, that person left who started it, and, and then it fell apart. And then a few years later I started my own group. And I've loved that. And, uh, you know, the thing that I like about improv and why it it kind of fits in really well with, with creativity and advertising is that there's this, there's this tenet of improv, which is yes. And, and it's actually two parts. Yes means like word agreement. This is what we're talking about. This is the world, world we're creating. Right. And then the and part is building onto that, adding different aspects of it and, um, and, and and you know, and, and when you're doing brainstorming, if if somebody says no to an idea, it, that kills the brainstorm. It just takes the kink in the creative in the creative flow. And it's really hard to get any good ideas out of that. So yeah. uh, approaching, you know, life as a yes is, is kind of also a personal philosophy and then, and how can we make this better? You know, how can we find other, other aspects of this? Um, so, and that also works in what we do in advertising. I think, you know, with the third, third, everything is is kind of this creative uh, walk and a flow and, you know, I've been at other agencies where there's a lot of ego and people get really attached to ideas. Uh, I think I don't have that. I mean, I'll stand up for really good ideas, but with that said there, you know, if it's a good idea, I don't care who came up with it. I don't care if it was the person working the front desk or, uh, you know, the principal or, uh, Sean, Sean's come up with great ideas. So anybody has a good idea. I'm like, yeah, let's use that and make it better.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. So your background is really entrenched in kind of outside of the box thinking and creativity. What role does creativity play in ROI?
1: Oh, yeah. So, you know, I I think that part of that is... um, So in advertising, you you need to get people's attention, right? And I think that in senior living, there tends to be this idea that if you stand out too much and you get too much attention, you're doing something wrong, or there's somehow, you know, people, they they want a lot of leads, they want a a strong brand, but they don't want to do anything that hasn't been done before. And you can't, those are, those two opposites, they, they they can't work. Something has to give, right? So by taking that chance, and we've done, um, and, and if you want to, so let's talk about this right now. We did a, a project for the Hearthstone, and it was called the Cove East. And they wanted to um, basically sell, I think it was like 32 units of this, of a very high um, priced area right on Green Lake in Seattle. And the thing that was about, that was going on with this one project is that it was going to be really rare. There's no other project that was going to ever be like this again. And, and it keep coming back to this idea of being really rare. So, you know, most, most people would have taken that and they would have probably showed pictures of people running around the lake or something like that. And I decided, hey, let's do something that will get everybody's attention. And so it's going to be as rare as seeing the Green Lake Mermaid. So we ended up doing this picture with this really beautiful sock photography of a mermaid. And and it says, you know, seeing the, the only thing rarer than seeing the Green Lake Mermaid is this new project, right? Now, I, the headline was something like that. I, I can't think of exactly what it is right now. But that and we ran, I think – uh, the ads two or three times and we did two pieces of direct mail and within about two months um, we had sold out the entire project okay and and because we did that it ends up um, we We'll, was we're going to be like basically a year long advertising campaign uh, got truncated into about two and a half months. Um, and so the ROI on that project was well over 200% or so a, uh, 200 to one ROI. So for every dollar spent, there was $200 that you got back on from the marketing Um So there you go. If we'd done something more traditional, we probably would have ran a campaign for six months or a year uh, and it would have sold out, but it would have had that immediate sellout. So if you look at, it's not just 201, a 200 to one ROI. If you think that we also saved another 10 months of marketing and we didn't have to do any more marketing uh, for the next uh, 10 months, uh, they probably saved more like 500 to one ROI. So again, creativity, um, you know, works really well, uh, on ROI in that way.
0: Yeah, that's, that's absolutely, you know, the money is one thing, but especially in times like now where every second counts on everything you're doing, the time is in a lot of ways, even more valuable to organizations than, than just the money output.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. Absolutely. Cause, um, they also talk about the whole COVID-19 thing that if you don't sell your home in the next six months and move to one of these communities that window of opportunity might not open up again for another two, three, five years. So, yeah, you know, there's there's that as well. So it's like, take a chance, roll the dice, go big right now, because we don't, you the housing market is about six months behind uh, the rest of the economy. So I have a feeling we're going to see housing values drop pretty quickly. And that if you, people who have a lot of value in their homes, which that usually is our customer, they sell those homes now and get into community um, they have a much better chance of selling it for a much better dollar value than if they wait.
0: Yeah. Well, you kind of touched on a little bit with, you know, your answer as far as creativity and the role that plays in ROI. You kind of led into also some some branding elements, which I know we've talked to Cynthia about quite a bit because that's her specialty. Um, do you take a creative approach to branding in and of itself as well? <clears throat>
1: Oh yeah, I, I think the whole thing has to be creative, that, um, and you know it's not creativity for creativity's sake. Um, the way that that we work at Third Third, and this really was pioneered by Cynthia, is we go in and we learn everything we possibly can about a potential brand. And we learn everything about the residents and all that. And we come to these sponges and we soak everything in and then we reflect on it. And then like a sponge, we wring it out and you know we capture the gems that come out of that. Um, and, uh, and you know, and expand that into you know what is the true reflection of this of this brand. And I think you have to look at things from a little bit of a side ways of view. And by looking at it from a little differently, you can elevate some aspects and make that um, play larger within a brand. Um, and uh, so there's part of this is really listening, really seeing what's there, and then taking that and then just blowing it up, making it, making it, you know, magnifying it and elevating it in a way that um, that basically is themselves. See, a lot of times brands they they come to us and they actually. They don't have a good brand um, uh, in reality. They have a really great brand in reality. They have a really bad brand as far as like how they, the face they show themselves. Okay. So internally and authentically, where they, how they do their, their, uh, their approach, you know, senior living within the community, they do really a great job. But the, their branding doesn't reflect that. Uh, you know, they always say, you know, people look better on paper sometimes than they do in real life. That, that can be, that's usually the other way around for a lot of the communities. They do a really good job in reality, but on paper, you know, on ads and on their website, they just aren't reflecting what's already there. And so we want to find that what's there and then bring it up. And uh, it's not about being creative for the sake of, oh, we're going to be crazy. It still has to be credible and relevant to your target audience. Um, but that's, that's why I think that, that, what we do really is, is valuable and I, nobody else in the industry goes as deep as we do.
0: Yeah. How do you approach a client then who wants to just play it safe? How do you break them of that mold that, you know, maybe it's, it's time to try something new?
1: Yeah. Uh, that's, that can be a tough one because at the end of the day, they do pay the bills. Um, I think l- lately people have been coming to us. Um, they don't want safe. They've already done the safe, bet they've done worked with the big agencies that have been doing senior living forever and they're tired of that of that same old same old and they know that it's not serving them or where they need to be in the next five ten years when the baby boomers really hit the market in a big way so part of that is like we don't seem to attract um that level of, of safe customer anymore with that said if we do I always look at them and say, okay, safe is dangerous. Um, If you want to look like everybody else, you will get exactly what they're getting. Now, if they're getting exact really good results, then by all means, be that safe vanilla gray, uh, you know, brand that looks very clinical and medical or insurance like go for that. But if it's if it you don't want that, if you want something better, or you want to roll the dice and see if you can't you know do better, um, give us a shot. And and usually a lot of times will t- you know let us start out with a direct mail piece that that we can send out to an area, and see the how that quality works for you. Um, and then also you know look just we look at here's, here's the other thing and I don't know if it plays very well with clients, but it's one of those things that. Like, if they do exactly what they tell them to do, they will get results. The only times that we've had projects fail, in my experience, um, is when a client has said, no, 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 and he's gone against our advice and has went and decided, no, we're, we're gonna do these this other way and we will come up to him and say, hey, we're the experts on this. This is what we believe is the right way to go. This has been our experience. Um, this is what we think your ROI is going to be if you go this way. And if they set that aside, um, then we all tend to say, well, okay, you're the boss. We'll do it. But we do have to, here's some caveats. We can't um, you know, promise that you're going to get the level of results that that you'd like. So um, anyway, so that's that's kind of, I you know, and a lot of times that will make them wake up. Um, or a lot of times we'll do two different types of mailings or something like that. But um yeah, it's it can be an uphill battle, but you know, like you said, if you look at our work, there's not too many people that want to play it safe that hire third third advertising.
0: Yeah. You mentioned something earlier. Uh, about ageism. And I wanted to kind of touch on that for a minute because it's it's a concept that I know that we've talked about a lot within our company. And I even had a conversation with a client re- recently about that. So uh, there's this concept called internalized ageism. Can you explain that to the listeners? How does it relate to marketing and branding in senior living as well?
1: Yeah, and I ran across this concept a couple of years ago. I was reading this article um, actually by Stacy Burling, uh, of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Um, and the name of the article is um, Old and Ageist: Why So Many Older People Have Prejudices About Their Peers and Themselves. And basically, she cites a couple of uh, researchers and who talk about this, this idea of internalized ageism, and it's, it's kind of qualified as this. Um... Let's. Well, read it so I don't get it wrong. Um, it basically, it states that all the negative conditioning that we receive throughout life about older people creates a bias that can be summed up as our internalized ageism. And another psychiatrist will look at it is kind of like uh, it's a prejudice against our future self. And you know, um, and you know, th- this is kind of like self hatred. And I know that they this appears in other. Areas. As well, like you know, there's some races that, that that have that because it's been conditioned into them from from you know um, you know a terrible past and history, and but the thing is we live in this right. And since I was a little kid, you know. We, In our culture, we were never venerated age. Age was always, you know, that's a silly old person or, you know, don't mind them or, you know, they need to be taken, looked after, Um, you know, they're not leaders, that type of thing. So um, I think as a culture, we've been ingrained to celebrate youth and disdain age. Um, So that's where this, this concept of internalized ageism shows up. And then for for us, it then becomes something that we need to, to account for because um, I'm a big believer in, in neuromarketing. Neuromarketing is basically a part of marketing that looks at how the brain perceives its environment and perceives signals and, and it, from, a, from a marketing point of view. And so if you don't actually, um, if you ignore that and you say, okay, there is this bias out there. Um, and you don't let that get that bias, I mean, we should, let me back up. You don't want to show that bias, right? You don't want to like co-sign it, but at the same time you need to account for it as how you speak to people through images. So like we do a lot of like, uh, Focus groups. We bring people in and we ask them, you know, if you were, if you didn't know how old you were, how old do you think you'd be? And most people on average say that they be feel they feel about 20 years younger than they actually are, you know, in the chronological age. So we take that information and, um, and, and it sits with us. But then we show them images of older people in ads. And I'm not kidding you. A lot of them will look at these older people and they say, that's not me. Even though you know it's actually that person might actually be older than them, they go, "That's not me. I want to see people in hiking boots, and I want to see people, you know, with backpacks on." Um, or that group of women look silly. Um, so when you start seeing that, there's this bias, and I and I and I do think it tends to be within the target audience. Men don't carry this bias quite as much, but as we know in senior living, it tends to be uh, women who are the decision makers and um, there's more of them that we're we're working with, that they tend to have this 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 disconnect. Um, they they even though they recognize themselves in the mirror, they go, "Oh, I see grandma staring back at me." They don't see people who are older in their peer group. And everybody's ever worked in the in a senior living industry, you know, in a community, and especially in sales, they've all had that prospect that walked in. Looked around the room, and they might be 92 years old. They say, "I don't want to live with all these old people." Right? That's I think is an example of internalized ageism. And then, you know, how we account for that is is um, a lot of times we'll show images of, of, of people in an environment, but they it, they're not the whole part of the environment they're part of the environment but they're usually moving they're kind of blurred um or they'll be part of like an aspirational so they'll be like working out they'll be doing something aspirational Um, and so when we we kind of pull it together i I say it really comes down to two things you should you to sell an attitude and aspiration not age age is kind of a lazy way of doing it Um, so it's better to to focus on um the positives and the fact is is that you know the Dove campaign, I don't know if you, get, you the, there's a Dove campaign about that showed um, plus size models uh, for this is for the Dove soap campaign. And it got a lot of attention uh, about four or five years ago. And this idea of beauty, is something that that they were exploring that that you don't have to be you know a size 0 to be beautiful and i think that's the same thing with with when it comes to to age is that you know you don't have to be um 25 to be beautiful you can be 75 you can be 85 if you're healthy if you're healthy and you have that sparkle in your eyes and you and and you're engaged in life and you have a positive attitude um that's sexy i mean i mean that that that's engaging as well you want to to know that person you want to emulate that and i think that's where um, we need to strike that, that balance between finding that and then still recognizing that we do have a target audience is, that is of that age um, without trying to sweep it under the rug. So that's a long way to answer that question, but that is, is something I'm passionate about. I'm writing a blog about it right now, so I'm kind of into that subject pretty deep.
0: Well, it was a long answer, but at the same time, you kind of answered another question I was going to ask you, which is, how do you walk that fine line between showing people of a certain age and showing your target audience? So you, you went right into that anyway. So no, great. That was uh, it definitely explained a lot. Oh, great. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. So I think now is a perfect time for us to take a little break, but don't go anywhere because Derek and I still have a lot to talk about. And when we come back, Mr. Dujardin is going to enlighten us with his thoughts on COVID-19 and what we should be doing to pivot, stay productive, and stay positive. So stick around and we'll be right back with more Cosmic Soup.